G'day, welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here with another preamble to another fantastic conversation. Today I'm speaking with Mr. Doug C. Brown, the founder of CEO Sales Strategies and uh, all the way from New Hampshire in the United States. He's the creator of the Top 1% Academy and has coached, consulted, and advised companies and thousands of people in business, including Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide Intuit, Procter Gamble, CBS, amongst others. He's also served as an independent president of sales and training for Tony Robbins, Chet Holmes, and Russ Whitney, where he raised the close rate on the sales presenter teams by 157%, as well as increasing sales for one product line by 4,150% in his first six months, resulting in tens of millions of dollars in extra sales over that time. I thoroughly enjoyed having the conversation with Doug. He's a he's a master at, the, at what he does in terms of sales and influence, and we talk a lot about the, the importance of the inner voice. And how it can either massively help or massively sabotage our selling endeavors? So I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And uh, for more information about how to connect with Doug, please check out the notes on this particular episode. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. All right, welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here and another very special guest coming all the way from uh, a different time zone and a different day, <laughs> Mr. Doug C. Brown, all the way from, I've got to get this right, it's New Hampshire. Is that correct in the States? It is. It's New Hampshire. And we say New Hampshire, uh, we say New Hampshire but it's really New Hampshire if, if you uh, really you know phonetically said it <laughs> the way it's supposed to. <laughs> New Hampshire. I love it. I love it. So, uh, Doug, CEO Sales Strategies is your organization. You are a, a sales revenue and profit growth expert. And uh, we're just having a conversation before we press record about uh, whether I introduce you as Doug C. Brown or Doug Brown. And you were giving me a story about some not as famous Mr. Brown, but he was some sort of a hockey player, ice hockey player or something. Well, he's more famous than I am, probably. <laughs> so he's a he was a professional uh, National Hockey League uh, player, and um, you know a lot of people used to ask me, "Am I, am I that gentleman?" And uh, no, I, my, I, I'd have more bumps and bruises just from falling down from skating than I would not even try to play hockey. So yes, <laughs> and there was nobody asking. Did you did you end up um, doing any autographs in on his behalf? Uh, no, but but I'm not above that. If it led to a sale, no, I'm just kidding. No, I, I no, I <laughs> no. love it, love it. So as, it actually reminds me when you were saying that that um, I got a mate of mine in Australia called uh, Frank Grillo, and Frank Grillo also happens to be an actor, right? And I mm. didn't know that until I got uh, <laughs> I got a text message one day. Actually, it wasn't a text message; it was a it was an email. Um, from somebody who would listen to a podcast I did with him like two years ago that I put up on YouTube, being very, very disappointed that it wasn't Frank Grillo, the actor. It was Frank <laughs> Grillo, the salesperson in Australia. <laughs> so it happens. Well, you know, I, I got to tell you all, there's probably someone else who has another name that's famous who's not famous. <laughs> that's it. It happens. The, the odds are in that favor somewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, as I said to Frank, it's, hey, any exposure is good exposure, so that's that's got to be a good thing. That's true. There, there really is no bad. Well, I guess there are there is bad press, but exp, even if it's bad press, sometimes that's good exposure. Absolutely. Now, Doug, I'm very conscious of the time because where you are right now, it's pretty late in the evening. So I greatly appreciate you uh, you jumping on and having a chat with us on the podcast. Uh, as the as the person overseeing CEO sales strategies, uh, and I know you've done a lot of work with a lot of very very uh, let's just say big personalities, in one of which was Tony Robbins, which we might we might explore and talk about. Um, just for the audience's benefit, love to get a little bit of a background on you and and what has led you to create this phenomenal work that you're doing right now. Well, I, I started working at the age of three, Darren, for my at three. For my yeah, at the age of three. Yeah, literally, I was sweeping floors for twenty five cents a week. You know. Wow. 
Um, now this was a, a long time ago, but <laughs> it was, uh, I started doing that. My dad brought us all into the business, all, all us boys, this, uh, four boys in the family. Um, and we started working young and by the age of five or six, I was pushed out in front of clientele and I was taught how to write orders for my dad's business. And, um, so, you know, I started learning how to communicate and talk with people I, to this day. I don't know if my father just, he had low cost labor or he was trying to, you know, um, <laughs> teach us something, but, uh, it worked, right. It definitely worked. Um, he had four successful <laughs> sons who, you know, did quite well in, in business and life. And, you know, so I, I started like figuring out commissions early on, okay. you know, cause I would look at, all right, we paid for this part, this, this much, we would mark it up two X, three X. And then, you know, sometimes some days I would add up what I actually sold and I get paid a percentage um, you know, at times, or we'd get bonus or something like that. So it, I started quickly figuring out, okay, I can work for an hourly wage or I can work for leverage. And so, you know, I stay with my dad's business, uh, and always built side businesses as I, you know, grew up. Yep. Um, and you know, and one thing I learned was if you know how to sell, you have two things. Uh, you have lots of availability for, for expendable cash. Mm -hmm. And when you have lots of expendable cash, you you have friends and and usually you can pick up girls that way. So that was kind of part, <laughs> part, of, part, part of the you know part of my teenage years, right? So you could have the nicer car, you could have you know which which you know I don't know if, if that was ever a factor, but you know back then you think like that. I did anyways, right? I thought like that, um, but I you know I never in my whole life, almost my whole life, I've never you know, wanted for funds because I always realized, okay, if I need something, I need to go out and sell something. Yes. And, you know, and then obviously creating leverage in that process creates more uh, money and uh, lesser time. So I learned that at a pretty early age, my dad, every year we used to strip down, he had an electric motor machinery repair company, we'd strip down all of the copper out of the, uh, of the electric motors. And every year, you know, we go for a ride in this big truck, you know, and uh, I spend time with my dad. We go cash in the copper and we'd make, you know, back then, you know, two, three thousand dollars, which doesn't sound like a lot. But back in the 60s, okay. uh, you know, that was a fair amount of money. Yeah. And so my dad would strip off some, you know, hundred dollar bill and hand it to me. And, I'm, you know, I'm five years old. and I got a hundred dollar bill sitting in my hand. So, you know, there weren't a lot of five year olds back then, you know, making that kind of money. Uh, plus the money I was making, you know, my, my 25 cents of, you know, well, by then it was about 50 cents or 55 yeah. cents an hour, uh, plus commissions. Right. So that's, that's how it, that's all it started. And I've built over 35 businesses to date. Um, and you know, I've always, I pretty much have been in selling since the age of five years old. <laughs> and you would have been like the king of the kids at school with hundred dollar notes coming out of your pocket. Well, I didn't fly. He taught us not to flash it too. Right. Because, nice. it, but, but he, you know, it's, um, but I did have it. I mean, I, you know, <clears throat> I had my first home not paid off, but you know, well on its way at age 23, yeah. you know, things like that. I own my cars outright. I, I, you know, I, it was just one of those things that if you, if you know how to sell and sell in what I call a win-win fashion, you know, yeah. they win, you win. You, you will never ever go hungry and you certainly usually have more leverage than if you're, you know, trading certain times for dollars. Now that not be, you know, withstanding, there are plenty of people in the executive positions making millions of dollars a year, you know, running corporations, running, running hospitals and things like that. So hmm. I just, for me, it was one of those things that I, I learned on an early age that if I wanted to create leverage in my life, that selling was going to do it for me. Yeah. Love it. Because it's interesting, um, you would have been indoctrinated at an early age. So you say at three years age of age, you're actually sweeping. At five years of age, you're literally taking orders and talking to customers. So it's almost like it was indoctrinated into you naturally. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you are out talking to uh, people, and I know you've done a lot of work with a lot, a lot of organizations and thousands and thousands of companies, uh, people, when, when people say to you, hey, I don't like sales and I don't like salespeople, it, that repels me. What do you say yeah. to Because it's it's a really interesting conversation. And in Australia, people don't like to be sold to. Right. Well, I, I think most people, 
like when I talk to CEOs and I ask them a question, you know, how do you want to be, you know, how do you like to be sold to? The majority mm-hmm. of them will answer the question, I don't like to be sold to, I like to buy. Yes. So I think that's human nature. Uh, but I also think that anyone who's ever been around a child mm. will realize they're the best salespeople in the world because, <laughs> right, they're, they're totally transparent and they ask lots of curiosity questions. Mm. And really, that is selling. Selling is we're asking key questions to get to an end point. Mm. Now, please, everybody, don't send me hate mail. I have two you know, children as well. But usually children are selling more win-lose because they're looking for something Yes, when they're yeah. selling, right? Um, <clears throat> but, you know, if when we grow a little more and understand that the other person wins, and we win, the other person's got a problem or an opportunity they're looking to resolve, and we can help them with that solution. Mm-hmm. And we can convey that communication and that questioning and arrive to the same point, like, this is good for you, this is good for me. Yeah. And I have the value in, in the exchanges, you get what you want. That's selling. Now, you know, Dan Pink wrote a really great book called To Sell as Human. And every person in the world, Darren, they sell on a regular basis, whether they're in a formal position of selling or whether they're just in a relationship with another person. Um, You know, we all better be selling to our significant others and our special people in our life um, because, you know, relationships need constant selling back and forth to to keep them alive and sparked. Absolutely. Because you you said an interesting thing around uh, earlier about win-win and curiosity. And as you were talking about that, it just remind, reminds me, I was doing a workshop this week, actually, and there was a group of people who were in a non-sales position or what they thought was a non-sales position. But after that conversation, they actually realized that every single person, in fact, is in sales. And we talked mm-hmm. about the fact that your significant other, the role that you have right now or the role you're looking to get to, at some point you have to sell. Now, people need to remove, I guess, this fixation of negativity around the word sale and sell and then replace it with something else and say, well, how do I give the opportunity of this person to potentially make a purchase, but an educated purchasing decision based on the value I'm going to create rather than push? So uh, I know this is this is a pretty loaded question, I know, because you've been in sales since, <laughs> since literally, you know, you could walk. Mm-hmm. Um, but how, when you hear the word sales, what do you hear? What do you see? Me personally? Yeah. Or so me personally, when I hear sales, uh, I hear happy thoughts, right? Because, and, and the reason behind that is I've taught so many people how to sell who never in their wildest dreams would have thought that they would be selling. And, you know, um, my wife, my, my wife, who I adore. Uh, you know, and because she's going to be listening to this, I have, no, I don't have to say that. I really do. I really do adore her, right? Is she and, over your shoulder right now listening to what we're saying? <laughs> no, but she will listen to this, I promise. <laughs> so, so my wife uh, was my client. Okay. Originally, right? And I taught her how to sell. Yeah. And she did not have a sales experience. So, you know, I've worked with people who say, I can never sell, you know, accountants, engineers, um, you know, people who just never thought about selling ever, you know, people who, who selling was the last thing on their mind. But then once they realized, like my wife did, you know, wow, you know, in her first month, because of some of the things that we worked on, she made an e- a year's salary in one month. Wow. In her first month working together, because there were things just, you know, I knew would work. Yes. And, and and she hadn't had that experience. So she I gave her what to, you know, the steps to to go forth. And then she did and she tried it and it worked out and she sold a whole year's worth of income, you know, within within under a month. Imagine. So, you know, there's a lot of stories that I, I I could tell like that because there's a lot of people who have come back to me and said, My gosh, this has changed my life because I thought selling was just what you would, you know, uh, when you, when we talk to most people about something, they go, Oh, use car salesperson. <laughs> right. That, really that's cheap suits. <laughs> cheap <laughs> suits. <laughs> you know, uh, if they're really old, they'll say tin men. 
right? Because those are the people sold aluminum siding on the housing, you know? So it's like that pushy, uh, non-permission based sales process. Mm. Uh, and all of you who are listening to this, uh, that's near dead today. Yes. Uh, if, if people are trying to sell that way today, they're not going to last long in the field of sales because with the internet, it has changed the landscape. And I, I remember back in the dial-up days when DSL came in <laughs> and I was actually selling telecommunications uh, at that time, Darren, and, and I went to my team and I said, this you know, noise that you hear that you know, was the dial-up noise, I said, this is going to change sales forever. And they looked at me and said, you're so full of it. What are you talking about? It's like, you know, I send an email. I send this. It takes eight minutes to get a picture up. I said, no, no, think about this. Yeah. I can get information on almost anything right now, right? And even if I have to pay for it. But back then, they relied on a sales channel to be that expertise and bring that information. So we selling had a major information advantage. Yes. Where today. 70% or so of the decision of the selling uh, or the purchasing or the buying is actually made prior to them even talking to the salesperson because they're going online. They have teams of people who go online and they, in some cases, know way more than the actual selling person. <laughs> so, so it's changed it so that it's not, it's now must be more conversational based selling and permission-based selling than ever before. And that doesn't mean we don't look for the pain points or we don't look for the opportunity points and we don't, you know, help them along and monetize that and show them where they're, you know, could do better or, or they're doing terrible and they could do better. You know, it, it doesn't mean we don't still do that. Yeah. It just means that that top-down selling, the old used car sales model, it's near dead. Yeah. Uh, I can give you an example that happened to me today if you want. Well, hold that thought because I, I just want people who are listening to this, there was a very important percentage you mentioned there, and it was 75%. 75% of your prospective customers are doing research and making a decision about whether they're going to do business with you before they even talk to you. So that, it, that says to me, where does the balance of power now sit? It sits now more in the hands of the buyer. Absolutely. So we, have to, we have to be earning the right to give the opportunity of that buyer to purchase rather than mm -hmm. us pushing a product or a service onto them. So, yeah. And, and now push, I would agree with it. And it's 70 plus percent. So they could be 90%, right? Yeah. They, they might be like right to this point where it's like a purchase order ready sale. Yeah. Right. And I've seen this happen. And then inexperienced people then start going back into a discovery process when they're like, here's the check Here's the, you know, give me the PO number, right? I mean, it's, and, and they're like, well, hold up. Hold There's up. the more features I want to share with you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I've seen people undo sales sales that way. I've done so, it. <laughs> I, I, in my early days, I've done it for sure, right? I mean, because, you know, but the, the reality is that that information transfer has changed so much. And mm -hmm. we, as salespeople, should have been always... And I've always subscribed to this and I've always taught this, uh, that we should be truthful, not yeah. honest. Honesty is subjective. Truthful like is it. objective. I like right? it. So we should be truthful. I got a call today from a vendor, a, a data supplier that I had used their information before. And it was like, eh, it was okay. Right. Yep. I bought I bought a list of, of business uh, that I wanted to go after. And it was OK. It wasn't great. But the person called me up and they go, hey, Doug, um, you know, how you doing today? I said, good. And they said, well, this is, you know, X from Y company. And I said, yeah, I know who it is. I, I, I recognize the number. I said, what can I do for you? Well, I was just calling to see how you're doing and, you know, how things are. I said, well, life's pretty good. Life's really good, actually. I said, you know, I said, but I'm not, I'm not right now ready to buy more data from your company. And here's what he said. 
Okay. Thanks, Doug. I really appreciate it. You have a great day. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Click. <laughs> it was, it was like, do you, does this gentleman even realize what he just did? I mean, that's a major rapport break, right? So he calls up. I know he's baiting me to switch me to a process, which goes back to that sales situation or that salesperson that we were just talking about, Darren, yeah. where it's like, you know, oh, I don't have a sale. Bye bye. Right. So here's the crazy part of this whole situation. I don't dislike this company. Yeah. They just made a mistake, right? And I would do business with them again, but they've never asked me for a referral. They've never asked me to expand the sale. They've never asked me for anything that would be considered revenue generating except this one transaction. And he calls me not being truthful. Now in his head, he might be honest. He might be really like, oh yeah, I just wanted to see how Doug was doing. But we all know based on that conversation, he was trying to sell me additional products and services. And I respect that, but not in the way he did it. No. Right? He would have been better off calling me and going, hey, Doug, listen, no, you haven't bought something in a long time. I want to know two things. How's your life? And two, can we talk about expanding our account with you? Absolutely. Put it on right? the table. Exactly. And so then I would have had that conversation in a different context. I wouldn't have cut him off so short. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, now, you know, now he's now trust is broken. And, the next and that's time, the worst thing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> because when you now, because you've now spoken about this. Now we haven't, we haven't divulged the name of the person. Now we haven't divulged the name of the company, but the more you have those sort of experiences, the more you'll talk to other people and that starts to have a negative impact, not just on that organization, but on that person as well. Yes. And you mentioned a really important thing before is curiosity, right? So if he had have called you, Instead of having, this is what I want to get out of this conversation. I'm looking for a transaction. I'm looking for a sale. That might be the ultimate aim. But how do I put my focus on you? How do I actually demonstrate a, a, a true level of curiosity and ask mm -hmm. you about, hey, even would have started with how, what's been your experience with this product or this service that we've actually provided you? Can you give us some feedback? Right. Good, have a conversation. Good. So when we're... And that's a great point, right? We want to convey value in every conversation. Value is in the perception of the other person's perception, right? That's the other person's view of what's valuable to them. So, you know, there's two types of value. There's professional ROI, return on investment. There's personal ROI. And he didn't hit any, any one of those, either of those points, right? So, he didn't, he didn't even go in to ask me, you know, how did this data perform? Did you actually turn in a return on your investment? Mm. And the answer is yes, but they've never asked the question, so they won't know. And so then we could have delved in deeper into what is that and what am I looking for that's going to help me leverage that return on investment I got originally. And we could start having that conversation on professional ROI. And what does that mean to me personally? Mm. If I get the right data... It's, it lowers my stress levels. It saves me time. I have other employees that are working, you know, in this thing. We could go on and then we, what we could do is we can monetize all that. And he could show me what does data actually cost truth, right? Yeah. Yeah. I paid X for the data, but I got Y back and my ROI was, you know, 20 to one or whatever it was. Yeah. And, and now I'm more open to having that conversation. <laughs> I just wonder how much of that is a lack of uh, lack of training, lack of direction, lack of coaching, for want of a better term, by the sales leader, where they're so fixated on our product or our services that we believe we're just going to have to push it. We're going to have to talk about our product and not remove ourselves from that. Correct. It's just, it's, and we sit here today and we think, well, this is all common sense, right? But I, I know even for myself, sometimes you can't help but start to lead with, hey, this is what I can provide you. And you'd start talking about that sort of stuff. So um, the truthful part, the the and what I hear there is integrity and character is, is critically important, which kind of leads me to another conversation, another question around uh, you're in a voice. Because I know that 
when you talk about sales, and this is why I asked you the question, when I when you hear the word sales, what do you think and how do you feel? And it's like you get you get almost you can see your face light up. It's like you're going to right. your happy place, right? Right. When you talk to other people, what they think about sales, they think um tin men, used car salesmen. They have this negative connotation. And I know you've right. done a lot of work and continue to do so around, I guess, the inner dialogue and our inner thinking around that. I'd really like you to expand on that and, and talk through your experiences working with so many people in terms right. of how much of our internal dialogue impacts our ability to be effective in sales. Uh, almost 100%. Wow. And, and, and the reason I say that so you know swiftly and, and, and with such a high percentage is <clears throat> the way we think brings forth what we say. When we have discussion, discussion controls the conversation, conversation controls the outcome. So, for example, if somebody is thinking, um, my gosh, what I'm selling is ridiculously expensive, <laughs> even though it might be to most yes. people, but if they're thinking this is ridiculously expensive, they're going to use language patterns to start invoking ob objections unconsciously because yeah. it's habitual behavior because that inner voice is speaking to them. And when the person goes, geez, my gosh, this is a lot of money inside they're 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 going, their brain is saying, yep, they're right. This is a lot of money. It's expensive right now. I, I can tell you where all this comes from if we want to get into that, but the reality is, once that person says that, you know, I have seen people, oh, here's, here's a perfect example, Darren, uh, shadowed a real estate agent. I, I almost like passed out due to this example <laughs> but when I was witnessing this. This real estate agent was talking to a husband and wife. Now, the sale price on this home at this time was $4.2 million. Commission is 6% mm -hmm. paid to the agency. And um on a normal basis, might've been 5%, but I mean, 5% of $4 million, it's not a bad day. Right? Yeah. So the wife is going, honey, I love this house. Oh my gosh. The husband's going, geez, I don't know. You know, this is a, a it's a fair amount of money and I'm not hundred percent sold on this house. She's walking him around the house, selling him <laughs> on this house. Honey, look, the kids could be in the pool here. We could put the barbecue here. We could do this. Imagine how happy we'll be. You work really hard. You come home. I'll have dinner ready. Uh, you know, the kids will be there. Daddy, you know, and we will all jump in the pool. We'll have a great time. And sweetheart, look at the bedroom upstairs here. Look at where I can put all my, my stuff. It'll be out of your way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's selling this thing, <laughs> like <laughs> conveying value, like no tomorrow saying, we buy this house. I will be the happiest woman on the planet. And we all know happy life, happy life, right? So oh, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> and, and he's just like, geez, I don't know. It's a, it's a little bit more than I want to go, uh, you know. Um, and she says this, sweetheart, I will go back to work part-time at the law firm. And I will actually cover the mortgage. You don't even have to worry about it. Wow. I will go back to work. I'll work around the kids, everything. I'll take care of the mortgage. I really love this house. He goes, well, that's a pretty nice offer. I really appreciate that. He's like, I still don't know. The real estate agent said this there. Hey, guys, this is a really big decision for you. I think you should take 24 to 48 hours and talk and think this over. Wow. Now, if I could have grabbed the real estate agent and thrown that person into the pool at that point, <laughs> I probably, you know, would have thought it through. Right. But, but, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh. Right. So here's what happened. They disengage. They go, yep, that's great. Thank you. Appreciate that. We'll talk. Right. Two days later, this real estate agent is trying to get a hold of them. Three days later, gets a hold of this person. What did you think of the house? Well, you know, we thought the house was great, but it just wasn't 100% us. It, mm -hmm. But it was great. You know, we, we really 
think that maybe we would have bought the house. And she goes, what do you mean you would have bought the house? Well, we found another house in the same neighborhood. Right? It was, it's literally a block and a half away from this house. And they named the street. Now listen to all this. And, and they go, well, okay, great. I'll come and we'll show you the house. No, no, I'm sorry. When we said we found another house, we actually bought this other wow. house from a different real estate person. Really? Take a guess how much the price of the home was. Uh, probably the same, if not more. $5.1 million. It was yeah. almost $900,000 more. Whoa. You know, I mean, can we say $200,000 commission, go, goodbye, you know? Absolutely. But that came from that person's inner voice. Yes. That person was taught, don't, don't push people, it's rude. And that is a true statement, mm. unless it's for the benefit of themselves, right? And I mean, the better of the win-win, if you will. Absolutely. Right? If it's for the better of that person's outcome, then it's okay hmm. to actually stand ground and try to help them cross that bridge of fear. And that's all it was. It was fear. Hmm. So yeah, the inner voice will play with us and it all comes in. Most of this stems from our childhood. Absolutely. And based on experience, if you were working with this particular real estate agent, I know as, as adults that there's years and years and years and sometimes generational thought patterns and speech patterns that lends itself to how we are today. Um, what's, and, and this is not a, Hey, what's the quick fix? What sort of elixir can you give us, Doug? Um, <laughs> what are some things that we can start thinking about? Because I'm thinking in terms of we're going to have sales leaders listening to this who have sales, sales members in their team who yeah. are not maximizing their potential, probably because of the thought process they're having and the self-talk they've got. What are some key strategies or key tactics we can start thinking about to help turn this? Yeah. So the first step is awareness, mm. right? We generally know we're doing something like this because we can see it in our lives and we go, okay, well, this is happening, but I don't know why. Yeah. Right. Or maybe I think I know why, but step one is awareness. So I teach people different techniques around creating awareness. One of them is this, <clears throat> take a business card. I call it the truth, the truth card. You take a business card. Usually there's writing on one side and it's usually blank on the back end. So you want a blank card of some sort on the back yeah. end. Yeah. Carry a pen. Anytime you see yourself, feel yourself, know yourself going into a, a, a direction you don't want to go, strike the back of the card. As in just write a little... A little... <clears throat> just a little, just okay. strike down, right? Yeah. So let's say, for example... You're not, not you, but the person is not telling the truth. And we know that this person, we, we tell the truth, not tell the truth by omission or commission, right? I mean, it's, it's either we leave something out or we put something extra in, right? Yeah. yeah. So let's say that we're looking at that, like how many times we're not telling the truth. And so let's say we say to people, like we're running late for a meeting and they go, geez, uh, you're kind of late. And you go, oh my gosh, you know what? The traffic was crazy. But the truth is you slept in 10 minutes late and you, that's the reason you're there. You better strike that card. Yes. Right. So, or let's say that in a, in a situation, you know that you should have said X, but you said Y, strike the card. Yep. The reason you want to keep striking the card is because it's going to start a pattern and you're going to start asking yourself, okay, every time I strike this card, I am having a feeling or a thought mm. and we want to get to what that feeling or thought is because then we can interrupt that pattern. What happens is we have a feeling, a thought, it immediately goes from a stimulus or stimuli, right? We get a feeling, a thought, and that immediately goes to a decision, but mm. we're not thinking it happens that fast, right? Yeah. And so when we get to that decision point, we go down pathway A or pathway B. Pathway A leads to never, never happiness land, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pathway B leads us to utopia <laughs> and, and complete happiness. But we have been trained habitually since birth 
we were our pure selves. But since we started being scripted by human beings, they told us what was right, what was wrong, what we're supposed to think, what we're not supposed to think. So if you grew up in a family that said, never, ever, ever, never, you are a dirt bag if you interrupt people. Yes. Then you go into a job and you're like, you got to make cold calls, let's say. Well, you're interrupting people. That's you it. want mommy and daddy's love. Let's say it came from there. So now every time you pick up the phone, you interrupt somebody, somebody gets upset. You're like, oh, mom and dad doesn't love me. Well, you don't know that, but that's what you're feeling. So what do we do? We start saying something like, no, there wasn't enough people. We just couldn't reach enough people today. No, you just didn't make enough calls. Yes. Right. Or your line is terrible because you're afraid to get rejected because you're going to be rejected from mom and dad. Right. These are all the, the, the habitual like things that run really fast. The key is we've got to get to aware, interrupt, and then install the new pattern. Yep. Take us down B. But if we're not ever aware, we don't know what to interrupt. If we don't interrupt what that is moving quickly, then we don't have time to think to go down pathway B versus pathway A. Yeah. Once we do that over and over and over, we start conditioning the nervous system. Eventually, B becomes the habit. And happiness pursues <laughs> and, right. and, 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 and endures. Yeah. And comfort zone starts to expand. Correct. Yeah. Because, because now we're becoming more of our true self because what happens over time when we're being habituated as a child, we're, we're told walk on the right side of the road and walk on the left side of the road, you know, you know, uh, you know, you know, uh, don't speak to people this way. You know, don't interrupt adults. You know, there's, you know, I mean, I, I grew up with a friend who, you know, children are to be seen, but never heard. Yes. Well, yep. she didn't have a voice, you know what I mean? Cause that's what she was taught not to do. Yep. So it, it's, even if it's meaning really good meaning, the parents are really trying to, you know, the, the caretaker or whatever it is, the, the preacher, teacher, mom, yep. dad, you know, school teacher, you know, best friend, whatever. Even in a good situation with, like, say there's a, a mother and a daughter and the mother is constantly saying to the daughter, listen, sweetheart, you're beautiful, but you know, I would adjust your hair this way. You're gorgeous, but you know what? Your makeup, I wouldn't do that. I would do, and it's just like things to try to even make it better. Mm. The signal coming from the, that to the child is I'm not good enough. Yeah. And, you know, I was once with a gal, um, not dating her, but in a business situation with a woman who she would not come out of the hotel room until she did her makeup because wow. she felt like a failure. And Darren, you and I would look at this woman and without her makeup and go, holy wow. moly, holy, right? I mean, she yes. was just beautiful, you know, specimen of a human being. Yes. And she had the personality to admit, you know, to, to go with it, but she didn't feel that way. So in a business scenario, that would play out if somebody rejected her. Mm. And so we end up starting to project that into the environments we go into, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And then, then our, so we project that and our actions are a fourth, the receiving party seeing our actions and they don't know what the real it is, the real deal, right? Yeah. So it's like when somebody throws an objection back, you know, they're not objecting to what they're really saying most mm. of the time. They're rejecting to some fear. Yes. Right. So but we as a selling party must find out what the real reason is for that fear. What's behind that fear? Because they might throw something like, well, it's too much money or I don't have the time or uh, my gosh, you know, I got to talk to someone else. And they don't, but they throw that out there, you know, um, to, to protect themselves yeah. from saying to you, Darren, if I make this decision and it goes bad, I'm going to lose my job. And if I lose my job, I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose my kids, you know, uh, education. I'm going to lose, yeah. you know, the house. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose that. They're not going to tell you that unless you're in very high rapport with them yes. and they trust you. Yeah. So we, as the seller must play win-win and help them cross that fear gap. Yeah. Now, if it's not right and we don't know we can deliver and that's a chance for that, we, as the selling entity, a, have to tell them, and B, be the first to disengage. Yes, because that's the ethical thing to do. Without question. But Absolutely. most people won't do that. They sell it. Yeah. It goes bad. Then the relationship goes bad. 
Yeah. Then they recover and they become the CEO of Intuit or something. And now you want Intuit as an account, you'll never get it because you, you didn't play the right way. But that person, just like any individual, is a human being who has fears, wants, needs, and desires. And we, you know, and value certain things. And we as the selling entity must find that out. But if we don't have the ability to have our own self-confidence and our and regulate our, our own self, then we're going to go into habitual behavior. And it's just a metaphorical emotional arm lock at that point. Absolutely. And it's almost like a, uh, a predetermined outcome because what we yeah. end up projecting, we end up getting back because that's, and there's a match between what our, I guess, what our trigger was and what our result is. And we say, okay, everything's fine. And that could be either positive or not so positive. It's, it's, I think, what is that? The universal law number three, right? What you put out comes back, right? Yeah. <laughs> that type of thing, it. right? It's um, cause and effect, right? It's, yeah. And and as a sales leader, because you brought the word sales leader up, sales leaders, their job is threefold. If you're a, like a, a manager or, or a, I don't care if you call it an executive manager or manager, if, you, if we are managing other people, our job is threefold. Number one, grow the revenue of that particular team. Number two, coaching. Mm. And number three, fixing our own garbage. <laughs> <laughs> right? And helping other people do the same. Absolutely. And on, on your, in your experience, I know my experience, um, they're really good at doing number one. Absolutely, excuse the French shit house at doing number two. <laughs> and I don't even think there's anything wrong in relation to number three. Yeah, two and three are usually uh, are usually um, lacking um, amongst a lot of people. Um, two is usually uh, subpar. Yeah. And three is usually non-existent. Yeah. They've, they've tried certain things. They've I've read a book. Yeah. Well, you still yell at people when they say this and you, your team is scared that you're going to, you know, cap off on them. So they're not going to tell you the truth. Exactly. I, I remember I was working with a CEO one time of a company. They would um, they were doing uh, at the time. So they started at 48 million uh, when I started working with them in two years, we were 110 million. Wow. And I remember I remember working with the CEO and this CEO had this really bad, bad seed in the company and it was causing massive turnover. And I said to the CEO, you got to take care of this person. I said, I, you know, put them on an island, isolate them from anyone else. You know, I know he's your best friend. I knew this. Yeah. Right? I said, but I want you to understand something. I've run your numbers. You have an annual turnover, employee turnover of 82%. Wow. 82%. 82% over years. And you don't know why your profitability is so low. Well, let me tell you, this is one reason your profitability is so low. Because when you turn over managers and you turn over sales staff and you turn over this, you're losing all of that revenue that would have happened and the revenue that is sitting there, it just, you know, no one's picking it up because this person's not training their team on top of it and you're lacking systems and process. So we change these things. Here's this person's inner voice speaking to him. Nope. He's my friend. I can't fire him. Wow. Right. So I went to him and I said, you fire him. I, or I'm disengaging. He said, well, will you fire him? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not the CEO. He's like, would you do it? I said, I'll do it. I did. I fired the guy. Yeah. Two weeks later, the CEO hired him back. Hired him back? I heard him back. So here's what happened. This happened. Fire the guy. Two weeks later, he hired him back. I went to him and I said, no, 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 no. Your people are happier now. Yes. (laughs) You're going to start getting a mass exodus if you keep doing this. So he said, well, why don't you fire him again for me? And I said, okay, I fired him again. People were coming to me, Darren, and saying, I was going to leave this company, but since this person's gone, I'm going to stay here and see it through because I see you trying to turn things around for us. Yeah, yeah. 
A month later, he hires them back. A couple of these people quit. And, and I, I went back and I got them back. I said, wait a minute, hold on, I'll take care of this. They said, I've given my notice. So I fired them a third time. And these people came back. I started setting systems up in the company. A couple of months later, he went and hired them back. And I said, here's the deal. Um, I think that I had been there for four months and I got all the systems set up, everything within the company. And, I, and, and now they went from 48 million to 50 million in, in this four months. Yeah. So I said to him, I said, you let him go or I'm gone. He said, I just can't do it. Now, here's the crazy part. This company over the next two years grew from 50 million to $110 million with the systems that were set up. I got his sales team set up. They were happy. I brought new managers in. I did all this within four months for this company. Yep. And I told the, the owner, I said, look, this guy is going to get you sued yes. because he's saying things that you can't say by law in your industry. There are HIPAA compliances and this and that, right? Yeah. Two, almost two years to the date after I left, the government came in, fined him $120 million and shut the company down. Wow. <clears throat> this is how powerful our inner voice is mm. for our decision-making. And when we have sales leaders that are not doing what they're supposed to, it can upend the company. So that's why number three really should be number one, but nobody wants to hear it right out of the gate. They want to hear, I go on and grow the, grow the revenue. So that's why I lead with that one first. Unbelievable. So, and we often talk about the fact that um, you, as a leader and certainly as a sales leader, you've got to do things. You've got to have conversations. You've got to take certain actions irrespective of how you feel. Sure. And many people can't do that. They, they lack, they lack self-confidence or they lack something or they have too much self-confidence yeah. and their ego takes over the better part of them. And so they have a very high ego strength. So they become, they become that, that doctor that nobody wants to go to because even though the doc is really brilliant, has yeah. such a harsh bedside manner, yes. <laughs> you know, it's like. You know, Mr. Smith, uh, I don't want to tell you, brother, but you're going to die. Like, like just out of the gate. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like, what do you mean I'm going to die? I, I just met you, right? You know, I looked at your test results. You're gone within a week, right? That type of ego strength um, where they just go, well, there's nothing wrong with that because that's just the way it is, right? And yeah. it's like, whoa, whoa, Mr. Smith has family feelings, this, that, right? Like, so, um when we're sales leaders and we have that type of abrasive personality, we will start driving people to our competition. Yes. And that means our sales team. Yes. We have massive, massive responsibility on us. So um, this is a great podcast because it's, it, and I didn't necessarily intend to talk all of about the inner voice, but I think this is so powerful that I think people need to really sit down and think about this and, and really understand and be more aware that, you know, what am I thinking moment to moment? What am I thinking when I'm in front of that particular CIO? What am I thinking when I'm having that conversation with my sales team? And then what is coming out of my mouth based on that thought pattern? Right. Which, Doug, begs me to, leads me to the next part of this. And that is, um, and I think I know, and I'll be curious in, in whether this is connected, which I'm sure it is, that if you look at the top, performers in in sales right what separates them from everybody else because i hear a lot about in elite sports and i'm sure based on the people you've surrounded yourself with a lot of this is mindset um rather than expertise and there's obviously a level of competency that's required but how much of the inner voice leads us to being in a top echelon so you talk a lot about the top one percent in sales in the top earners yep. Yep. how much is that is competency or skill set versus in a dialogue um, conversation mindset? So it's situational, <clears throat> but uh, so I'm not trying to be evasive, but it is situational, right? Sure. So when you look at a, let's let's go, because that's what I do. I train people to be in the top 1% of earners yeah. through selling, right? No matter where they were, if they want to be in the top 1%, there is a pathway to get there. So same for most athletes, right? However, with most athletes, there is a 
physical component to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the old that where there's a will, there's a way really does apply to selling in a, in a huge way more than I would say, I love professional hockey, for example, they're, they're one of the, you know, they're top conditioned athletes, but if you get hurt, you know, you take a puck in the head, you know, and (laughs) that would hurt. Yeah. Right. Um, And, you know, or you get a skate blade across the Achilles tendon or whatever you're out of hockey for, if not indefinitely, you're, you're out. Right. So there is, there's that physical component, but that emotional component that you're talking about that inner voice, which I call an inner guidance system. Yep. That inner guidance system in selling is absolutely critical. So I'm going to say 60, 40. Okay. Right. If you're 60% there, because this inner guidance system is what people call charisma. Mm. And that's infectious when it's done in the right way. Yes. Right. When it's done with like a bad talk show host, not so good, (laughs) but when it's, when it's done in the right way, you know, you, 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 you look at certain singers, they're not the most proficient singer in the world. Yeah. You know, I mean, just not, I mean, but they're at the top of the charts because they Mm. have this charismatic way about them and they have enough talent that they've honed to get to that place. So it's the same thing in in sales. I'm not being arrogant. I'm very good in selling. Mm -hmm. There are better closers out there, but I outperform them. Yeah. So the reason behind that is because of that inner guidance system and the skill sets that I have learned to employ is how to think like a business owner, how to think like a buyer, how to be a master prospector yeah. and not just get leads, but get sales qualified leads. Yeah. Right. Now I'm a, I'm a good closer. Don't get me wrong. You know, you need that skill set too, but it's a combination of skills. And I'd say it's 40% skills, 60% this inner guidance system, because what happens with people who are really skilled, but lack that inner guidance system it's the number one complaint of most salespeople. I don't have enough qualified leads. Yeah. Yeah. So if that inner guidance system is then depleting their ability to go out and get these leads, they can have the greatest skill sets in the world, but they won't be able to actually be at the top 1% consistently. They might hit it here and there, but they won't be consistent. Yeah. And that's where that inner guidance system, that inner voice plays in at the 60% versus the skill sets. And it's almost like they are when I hear that language, I hear they're externalizing. They're saying, well, my marketing team hasn't given me enough leads or whatever. So they're not not as self-reliant versus somebody who would be at the top of their game realizes that, you know, I'm the one that has to go and prospect. I'm the one that has to go and and qualify. I'm the one that's going to have the conversation. And I can't rely on anybody other than myself. And if I can have the confidence and the competence to be able to do that, then... It'll, it'll increase my conversion rate. So I just, I just, um, I have a client right now I'm working with and she has literally doubled her, her sales in the last, <clears throat> we've only been working together for three months. In the last two months, she's literally doubled her sales. Nice. Okay. The majority of what we've had to reframe was her belief system. <laughs> there you go. Right. So we've worked on skill sets and we've worked on all of that. But the reality is, is the the belief system is what what held her. And to what you were just saying, it was like these leads are terrible. Right. That's the conversation we originally had. And I'm like. Why do you need those leads? Yeah. Right. Why are you relying on independent leads coming through to you? Why are you relying upon your company supplying you leads? If you're truly a salesperson, uh, please, marketers, do not you know send <laughs> hate mail on this one. But a true sales professional does not need marketing to be a top one percenter. Yeah, marketing gives them additional leverage, gives them additional branding, gives them additional goodwill, and it's really, really, really appreciated by the one percenters who know this 
and love marketing. You know, so, you know, you ever, ever seen the company where marketing hates sales and the sales hates yeah, marketing, right. right? That type of thing. It's like, no guys, it's, it's one continuous system, right? It's, 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 it's like customer service is selling folks, yes. whether you, you know, if you're not, if you're not turning your customer service department into a sales entity, you're leaving tons of money on the, on the table. 100%. So all of this is one big component. And then the great, the, the one percenters understand this concept, Darren, and they, their brain and their mindset is, is wired to help the marketers wired to help the customer service, because if they help the marketers, they know that when these leads come in, that they're not relying on anyways, but when they do, there'll be sales qualified leads yeah. that they can take that. And that gives them the additional leverage. They'll help the customer service department because they know the customer service department. Here's two things. Complaints, yeah. which can turn into sales opportunities and opportunities for regeneration of sale, and they can regenerate it back to the sales team. So a one percenter looks at leverage throughout mm -hmm. the whole process and has to have that inner voice driving this. Otherwise, they're going to think, well, marketing is, you know, they're lazy people who just generate leads, <laughs> you know, um, and they're leads, you know, no good anyway. So what the heck, right? No, 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 no. One percenters don't think that way. If the leads are not good, they will get together with the marketing department and say, can I give you my input on how I think we can make leads better yeah. and make you more successful as well as me more successful? Same with customer service, same with the CEO of the company, same with all of this. Mm. It's, um, Is that answering your question? Oh, it does. And, and I know it's not rocket science, right? But And sometimes I think we overcomplicate stuff. So as we, as we wrap up... On, if there's one thing, and I, you've given so much, um, so much gold today, so I greatly appreciate this. For a, for a sales leader or a salesperson or a chief of sales, chief sales officer who's sitting here listening to this right now, thinking, "Yeah, that's all well and good." What's something that you would? <laughs> what's something we can give them that's tangible? Just one thing to a not not change everything, but at least start on the, I guess, on the process of changing. And it could be something around awareness it could be something around <laughs> the installation of a new strategy is there is there a, a go-to um, piece of advice that you can give people to hang on to and start to build some momentum around yeah yeah as a sales leader so if somebody was running a sales team per se or yeah yeah so the first thing is get truthful feedback from an outsider Love it. Love <laughs> so it. so here's the thing uh, and by the way, speaking of rocket science, ship science, right? <laughs> right. We we sent a, a person to the moon on a two megabyte computer. I want people to think about this. Two megabytes. Yeah. I, I mean, if you had a two megabyte computer today, you'd be pulling your eyebrows off your head because you know <laughs> you, you couldn't load anything, right? But we sent somebody to the moon, and we were able to communicate. So. The, the point being is what is sufficient to get you there and that what you can build off of. So that's ground zero. So that's my first part of the advice. So my first part of the advice is what are we going to do so that we know the truth? Because too many sales leaders are trying to solve problems. Yeah. And you can't solve a problem without fixing the cause. If the problem is a problem and we keep trying to go after the symptoms of the problem, yeah. the problem still persists. <laughs> but I mean, if we go at the cause, <laughs> right? So what's the cause? And I will tell you who will tell you the cause. People who have interactions with your salespeople, your sales. Your, your people who have interactions with yourself. So i.e. your clients are going to tell you a lot and, and, and get the feedback from them, but have an independent come in and do this and talk to your sales team as well, because they will give them, uh, and there's a caveat here, when the independent comes in, and I'm not trying to sell my services here, Darren, I'm just yeah. giving what, yeah. what I would do. The the independent's going to come in with the caveat that it will remain anonymous that unless there's something catastrophic, like, you know, somebody's going to, I don't know, 
wire the the coffee machine to blow up on the CEO or something, right? It's something yeah, that's absolutely. Just, you know catastrophic. So unless it's catastrophic, this information, no one will ever know who gave it. Because what'll happen is your salespeople know how to make things better. Mm. Your frontline people in throughout the company know how to make these things better. They know what the cause of the problem is. But when you're a sales leader, sometimes you can't see the cause because you're not, you're too high. You're looking down at the earth versus standing in the earth. I always say to people, look, if you don't believe me, go take an automobile ride. You stand outside the automobile, let it drive by you. Then you get in the vehicle and drive by the same spot you were standing. I guarantee it will be a def- definitely a different experience for you. 100%. 100%. Right? So that's the first step. Get an independent validation of the truth in, in whatever capacity we, we have to do it. But I've always found to get some outside that nobody knows yep. that you can give full, a full guarantee that people can be as transparent as can possibly be. And by the way, that's how I found out with that company that had an 82% turnover. I was looking at the numbers. I'm like, why have we got an 82% turnover? That's the that's a problem, right? We yeah, know that's absolutely. a problem. But what's the cause? Yes. Until I did what I said, everybody was too afraid to tell because they knew that guy was the CEO's best friend. Yep. Yeah. So once we knew what the cause was, we removed the cause. Remove the cause, problem's over until he hired him back. Now the problem's back, right? So now- <laughs> four times. <laughs> four times. So we look at what is the cause, remove the cause, you no longer have the problem. And you do that first through awareness and getting the truth. Mm. And sometimes folks, the truth really hurts. It does. So, you, you know, you got to be prepared for that. But you have the truth, you'll know the cause, or at least from the truth, you'll be able to know exactly what the cause should be. You look for the causation of the problem, remove the cause, reframe it. Your problem now turns into an opportunity. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Awesome advice. Greatly appreciate that. Mate, um, this has been a fantastic conversation. This is time has absolutely just flown. So um, thank you. Thank you once again for jumping on. It's very late over there in New Hampshire. New Hampshire. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's us Aussies, New Hampshire. So (laughs) for people who would like to know a little bit more about you and what you do, what's the best way that they can connect with you, Doug? So they can email uh, if they want. uh, If they want to send it to the team, send it to Y-O-U-M-A-T-T-E-R, you matter at CEOSalesStrategies.com because to us, you do matter. Um, You can reach out to me at Doug at CEOSalesStrategies.com. Can I do a shameless promotion on something that I'm doing that you Please. don't even know about there? Please. I just wrote a, 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 a an ebook okay. on the characteristics of a top one percenter, awesome. earner in selling. Uh, it's not out yet, but it'll be out in the next few weeks. Uh, but this will run prior to, so I, I can't give the URL because it won't be out until that yep. time. But I can say if they email me at either one of those email addresses, Doug is my mine. Or you matter is our our team will pick it up and um and and just say hey I want the I want the ebook uh, I'm I'm giving it away to your guests we are selling it but I'm giving I, I will give it away to your guests and they you know as as a courtesy for thanking you for having me on here because I really have a, had a good time so thank you awesome. um, and thank you. Um, you know and they can they can hit me up on um, uh, LinkedIn Doug yep. Brown one two three a lot of people hit me up on LinkedIn, so that's why why I like it. But CEOSalesStrategies.com is the is the the website. Um, and if anybody's interested, I am uh, going to be running out a one percent academy where I'm teaching people uh, in a small group environment, actually. Um, but I will tell people if you're going to take advantage of this, be prepared to face the truth, because. <laughs> I've done two runs of this before, testing it out. And every one of these people have said almost the same thing to me, Darren. I hated you, but I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Because my feet were very, very well sprayed into the fire. (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, I had one guy go from $140,000 a year in commissions to $2.1 million over the next year. Wow. Pretty good growth. That's pretty good growth. That is a, that is a very, very strong endorsement. 
Mate, that is uh, that is fantastic. Greatly appreciate that that kind offer of the ebook. Um, I'll put that in the in the show notes. And uh, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, which I, based on this conversation, I really really encourage you to do so. Um, even if it's just to get some of your your gravitas and your um, your experience and your charisma that's just oozing through the Zoom Zoom lens. So thanks once again for jumping on the podcast. And uh, hey, I reckon we've we only got through about a third of what I would hoping to get through. So I reckon we're gonna have to do round two. So I'll um, I, we'll be in contact about that. I'd love to come back. Thank you for the invitation. Love it. Awesome. You have a fabulous evening. What's left? And uh, we'll connect it again soon. Good on you. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Doug. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar. Go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.